0: Now, many of us grew up with different TV shows, depending on when you uh, grew up, you know, and there used to be the shows that were all about perfect relationships, and that no matter what episode, you knew that in that 30-minute sitcom, no matter what kind of conflict would arise, that At the end of the show, everything in the end would be good. There'd be canned laughter, and the credits would roll until the next episode, the next week. And so you have shows like Andy Griffith. You have shows uh, like Leave It to Beaver. You had the Brady Bunch. You had the Cosby Show. It's not a great example much anymore, kind of weird. And then you have shows like Full House, right? Which I understand is like getting a whole reboot on Netflix called Fuller House very soon. But then there was a kind of a shift in our TV shows and characters like Archie Bunker from All in the Family. You have characters like Al and Peg Bundy. From Married with Children. You have Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne, and today we have the Kardashians, right? And there's something about these shows, I don't know if it's because people think they're funny, or they think that they're interesting, or if they're almost like uh, driving by a car crash on I-70, right? And you're driving along, and you don't want to look, but you kind of do, and you don't know what kind of chaos and mayhem are going on over there, that's why we watch, or if we watch them and they make us feel good about our own family dysfunction, going, eh, at least we're not that bad. you know. TV shows, though, are not just about family conflict, family relationships. There's also... Uh, you also talk about... Everyone watch The Office, the, the show that shows that, like how many messed up people can work together in one office. And you're going, but you've never been to my office before. But... There is a, so many characters on this show, like Michael, the boss, who's funny in his own right. But then you have guys like the, the king of messed up co-workers, Dwight Schrute. And how I loved about this show is how Jim, the guy who would share a desk kind of next to him, that he was always trying to do something to mess with Dwight. I want you to watch this. Morning, Dwight. Who are you? Who am I? I'm Jim. We've been working together for 12 years. We're joke, Dwight. You're not Jim. Jim's not Asian. You seriously never noticed? Hey, hats off to you for not seeing race. All right then, Jim. Uh, why don't you tell me about that sale that you made yesterday? Uh, Wellington Systems sold them 10 cases of 24 pound letter stock or were you talking about Krieger Murphy because I didn't close that one yet but I'm hoping I've got a voicemail from Paul Krieger waiting for me please enter your password you have one new message How did you know? no 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 that is sensitive information only for employees, not outsiders. Dwight, cut it out. I'm trying to work. You don't work here. You're not Jim. Jim, I got us that dinner reservation. Greek 7.30. Oh, great. Can't wait. Mm. <laughs> Jim's at the dentist this morning, and Steve is an actor friend of ours. I don't know who you are, but you are not Jim. This is Jim. <laughs> oh, Oh, dude, how did. It's good. Uh, Whether it's family dysfunction or office dysfunction or or just school or friends, we all have conflict in our relationships. When we started this series week one, uh, there is something about this series about relationships that hit a nerve a nerve that people have gone, you know, this is something I needed to hear. I've never heard this more about any series than before about this season, this series about our relationship with other, what God wants from our relationships with him and with others today. I think can be just like that because all of us deal with, with conflict in our relationships. All of us have relationships that aren't what they are all meant to be because we have something, some barrier that has come up between uh, one another, whether it's our home or school or family or friends or whatever church. Here's the big idea today. We all have difficult relationships, but if we will let him, God can take them and turn them into good. And one of the things I love about the Bible is how real it is. How it takes these real-life examples of people who have relational conflict. And we can learn from their successes, and we can learn from their failures. And there's a guy in the Bible, in in the book of Genesis, his name is Joseph. Who his life was full of family and relational conflict. And I think that we can find some things to really implement into our life from the story of Joseph. Joseph comes from a large family. He has, he's one of 12 brothers. He's number 11. And his family relationship struggles really starts with his dad, because his dad one day shows up and says to Joseph, hey, I got a gift for you. And it's this coat. It's this luxurious Multicolored coat that he gives to Joseph and he doesn't give his other sons anything. You see this, the root of the problem that Joseph was dealing with is that his dad really showed his, that he was, that Joseph was his favorite son. And which really caused a lot of conflict, as you can imagine, with the other brothers. And not only that, but Joseph, he takes this Even further, the fact that he wears this robe all over the place in front of his brothers, his 10 older brothers, and then he has a dream and says, hey guys, I had this dream last night. And they're like, yeah, what, what was it about? Well, you were there. Okay, what were we doing in this dream of yours? Well, it was really funny because you all bowed down to me. Yeah, I have a brother who's 10 years older than I am, and I'm pretty sure if I would have done that when I was like 7 or 8 or 9, that that would have been like the most atomic wedgie I would have ever received from my brother if I would have done that to him. And yet, he goes and kind of flaunts it in front of his brothers, and they get so angry with him, and that it it kind of builds and builds all along until they get to the point where they're just like, you know what, I'm going to kill this kid. And it comes to the point where they, 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 they don't kill him, but they do the more humane thing. They, they, they throw him into a well and sell him to slave traders, right? And so they, he, they take his robe and they rip it up. They smear it with animal blood and they, they take it back to their dad and say, you know, your favorite son, he was killed. He was mauled by this wild animal. Now he's dead. And they begin to live out this lie. I mean, you thought your family was dysfunctional. This is, this is dysfunction. Well, it turns out that Joseph... He ends up in Egypt. He's sold to slave traders and he goes to Egypt. He's bought by a man named Potiphar who is like the captain of the guard of the Pharaoh. And Joseph, he has some level of success as a slave in Potiphar's household, so much so that Potiphar makes him the second in command of his house. And all, all things are going relatively well for Joseph until Potiphar's wife notices how handsome. That he is, and she wants to to lure him, she wants to 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 have, to have sex with him, and she she would make a great Kardashian I think in the, in the, in the show um, and she, joseph he refuses her, he runs away from her, she tries to grab onto his his, 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 his robe, and he runs out of it and he 's naked and he 's running out into the streets, which if you 're keeping score now at home, Joseph has lost two robes in two chapters of the bible and She's humiliated. She's angry that she's been turned down. And so she calls to her husband, Potiphar, and says, that slave of yours, the one that you trusted, he tried to rape me. And here's the proof. Here's the garment that he was wearing. And he's furious, and he throws him into prison. While he's there in prison, there are two other prisoners he meets, a butler and... A baker, both who worked for the king, for the Pharaoh. And they have one night, they have a dream. We don't know why they're in prison, but they both have a dream. And and Joseph is there and he, he, he understands, God gives him the interpretation of their dreams. And he tells the baker, here's what your dream means. It means that in just a few days, you are going to be executed for your crime. Sorry to break it to you. To the butler, he says, but I've got some good news for you. Your dream means that you're going to go back to work with the Pharaoh again. You're going to be restored. You're going to be found innocent. And everything comes true. Which is relatively good news, Joseph thinks, because soon the butler is going to go back to the king, and the butler says, I'm going to remember this, Joseph. I'm going to tell the Pharaoh about you. But he forgets. So Joseph sits in jail for the next 11 years until Pharaoh has a dream. It disturbs him. He wants to know the meaning, and no one can tell him the meaning. And then the butler goes, oh yeah, there was this guy in prison. He, said he could tell dreams. He could interpret dreams. So he brings Joseph out of prison to the Pharaoh, and he says, here's what your dream means. God has told me what your dream means. It means that a famine is coming. A massive famine famine and we need to be prepared here's what we need to do in order to be prepared for this famine that's about to strike and the pharaoh thinks it's such a brilliant idea he puts joseph in charge and makes him second in command over the entire empire of egypt you go from prison cells to the palace just like that and the famine hits but they were they were prepared And it not only strikes Egypt, it strikes all around the region. So other countries, other other peoples come to Egypt to beg for food, to trade with them, to say, you're the only one who has food. We need your food. Here's what we have. He has set Egypt up on such a, a, a great situation that they can really become more and more powerful. And so all these other people come to Egypt, including Joseph's brothers. So they walk in begging for food. They don't recognize who this powerful person is because, first of all, they're not expecting to see their brother, the one they threw into a hole one day, now as the second most powerful man of Egypt. They would never think that. Plus, he now looks like an Egyptian. He now talks like an Egyptian. And he now walks like an Egyptian. Right. So they didn't know. Send an email. And so... What happens is Joseph, he, if I were Joseph, I'm seeing my brothers. They're bowing down to me right here, begging for food. All of a sudden, the dream that he once had is like a flashback coming real in front of him. I, I got to be honest. I think I'd be going, you guys, you thought you saw the end of me. Now it's payback time, right? Right. But he has compassion for his brothers, for his family. And he realizes, God, you have done all of this. You have been orchestrated, working all behind the scenes, even in the mess, even in the conflict. So that we could be at this point in this time. And not only would it, I save lives through the peop- for the people of Egypt, but for all these other people, including my family. That you have worked good, even in the midst of of conflict. This, there are significant takeaways from the story of Joseph. And there's so much more in that story. I wish you would have time to go into the, to God's word and study that on your own. But how we can take from Joseph's experience and implement them into our lives. So our relationships can become what they were meant to be. I want to take a three, three takeaways there in your program today from, from, from Joseph's experiences. Because Joseph's difficulties really started with his dad. And his favoritism that he was really showing to all the other sons that Joseph is my favorite. He's the one I love the most. Which all of us would say, okay, you don't, you don't do that, right? I mean, that is, you don't have to be a family therapist to say, dad, that is a stupid, stupid thing to do. I mean, you wouldn't go to Christmas and give one of your children something that was like $500 and this great gift. And then you go to your other child and give them like a pack of gum. You know, they're on to you, dad. I mean, it's not smart. So, so Joseph had that as, a, as his father figure, but Joseph also wore that robe around everywhere, right? In front of his brothers going, hey, look at this new robe I just got. My dad, what you? They're, they're out there working in the field. He's walking around with this nice, nice thing on and going around and saying, hey, remember that dream that I had the other day? What was it about? Oh yeah, you guys bowing down to me. That was awesome, Right we would also look at Joseph and go, on, hey, that's pretty stupid. Joseph's story is important for us because in our relational conflict with others, oftentimes we are quick to, to look at what other people are doing to us instead of what we have to own ourselves. The sermon, series, this message today is called I'm With Stupid, Right? in our with series, that I am with stupid. And you've probably seen the shirt where it, has, it says I am with stupid. It has an arrow pointing to the left or to the right, talking to the people who you're with. But there's another version of the shirt that has the arrow pointing up, pointing back at ourselves. And that's the point I'm trying to make here today, is that the truth is you will never get anywhere relationally until, here's the first point, until you check yourself. And see, are your own relational flaws. And we, we have to get this part. Because I worked with high schoolers and middle schoolers for 10 years. And I would remember the most common complaint as kids would come to me as their youth minister. And they would say, you know, I'm so frustrated with mom and dad. And the number one, the number one common frustration was that they never admit when they're wrong. They're so quick to point out the times I've blown it, the times I've messed up. But when they are in the wrong, when it's very clear that they messed up, they never say to me, you know what? I owe you an apology. I messed up. But that's true for all of us, not just parents. It's all of us that we're so quick to point out what others are doing to us, but we never take a second to go, you know what? What have I brought into this conflict? How have I messed up? And this relationship isn't all that it can be. The problem is, there's one person that you're always with, and it's you. John Ortberg, a Christian writer, says, The truth about you is, you don't know the truth about you. And the Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. That none of us are perfect, none of us are innocent. And until we take the responsibility of our role in, the, in our relational conflicts, our relationships would never be all that they are meant to be, how God designed them and what we want from them. So we need to check ourselves. The second thing that we need to deal with in our conflicts is that we need to deal with it quickly. You know, I forgot to mention a couple parts in Joseph's story. One is, the, the day when the brothers, the ten older brothers, went over to their dad, Jacob, and sat him down and said, Dad, listen, your favoritism toward Joseph is ruining our family. It is, you don't know what it does inside of us. Just the, when you look at Joseph the way that you do, and you look at us as how you do, it's killing us, Dad. And when they went to their brother, Joseph, and said, Brother, listen, I know you're younger than us, but listen. This arrogance that you have about you, this pride, this insensitivity, it's not working. You need, it's not going to go well with you in life. And we're saying this because we love you. And yes, we know we've picked on you, but this is what we need you to hear. And the reason why I left that part out is because it never happened. This problem, this conflict between this family just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And what you never see is someone stepping up and going, you know what, I'm going to call this out. I want to make this right in my family. Because when conflicts go unaddressed, when they get swept under the rug, when we just allow them to, to fester, our relationships always suffer. There's, a great, there's some great wisdom in the Bible that says this. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, when there is conflict, when there is something in your life and someone has hurt you, don't let the sun go down until you make it right, until you address it with them. Last week, in week one of the series, we talked about the fact that God is the one who designed us. He created us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with others. That we need a relationship with him and with others. That's what it was meant to be in the beginning. But because of sin, sin strikes at the heart of our relationships and sets barriers up between us and God and between each other. And sin is what does that. And and, and God looks down at the, the relational messes that we've made, and he said, I need to get down with them. And he did in the person of Jesus. And yes, Jesus died for us. And he took our punishment for our sin and made a way back for us to God. But not only did he come to die for us, he came to live for us. Because Jesus came to show us how to live and to have the life to the fullest. And when we look at how he lived, we can go, okay, that's what, how we were designed for. And Jesus talks a lot about how we're supposed to handle conflict in our relationships. And I want us to get this for our family, for our, our friends, for our coworkers, for our church. Jesus says in Matthew 18, he lays it out. He says, if another believer sins against you, Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But, if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that if everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So here's what Jesus lays out. He lays out this process. When you have a conflict with, a Christ, with another Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, part of the family of God together, he says, number one, step number one, there in your notes, go to them Privately. And in my own life, I can tell you this from my own life and what I have seen as a minister of seeing other other people in conflict, 90% of the time when this happens and that one person goes to that person and they talk privately, it is handled. And there is peace. And there is healing. And those two individuals come together and they go, you know what, Jesus met with us here and we're becoming more like Jesus in the midst of this conflict and how we have forgiven one another and now we can walk out of here on the same page. Man, that's that's such a good, good thing. But there's something that stops us from doing that, isn't there? When we know that there's conflict with someone and we're like, okay, I know and I feel this in me, these words that I hear from others as well so I know they're, they're also real in me, It's these these words of, I don't like conflict. I don't like confrontation. But I would say this, who does? No one ever wakes up in the morning going, you know, it's a great day for some confrontation. You know, I can't wait. You know, get my cup of coffee. I'm ready for some confrontation. No. But if if we say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I know I have a problem with this person. I'm not going to do it, though. I'm not, I'm not going to follow what Jesus says. I'm going I'm to do my own thing. There's only two other avenues. One is you sweep it under the rug. You eat it. I know this person has hurt me, and I am going to just, just forget about it and hold it inside of me. And what happens? We saw it in Joseph's story, right? Bitterness, resentment, anger. I mean, they had vilified their younger brother to such a point that they're ready to kill him. And we love... Sometimes we get... We're okay with that. We just play the newsreel of how they have offended us over and over and over in our head, and we kind of like to hold on to that. Jesus is saying, no. Go to that person privately. The other way to handle it then is to not go to that person privately and go to everyone else publicly. And the other thing there, what comes through that avenue is gossip, slander, talking about that person behind their back, and that's, we're missing the point what Jesus is saying. If you love that other person, if that, it, you come to that person in love, checking yourself, what have I brought to the situation, being an agent of peace and healing. Most of the time it's solved. But Jesus says, if it's not, here's the next step. Take two or three witnesses with you. And what he's not saying is to go find the people who are aligned with you so you can go gang up on that person and say, all right, we're here, and we're back, and we're ready for action. This actually, Jesus is bringing this from the Mosaic law, the Old Testament, that was, all, that was about legal testimony for conviction, this idea of two or three witnesses. That, and, and, the, and the idea is that they would be impartial witnesses that it should be the goal of those you bring with you, that they are followers of Christ as well, and their job is to seek out where the sin is in the room, to call it out, to expose it with the truth of the gospel, and to help there to be peace and reconciliation. And if it gets to that point, 99% of the time, the problem is solved. But Jesus says sometimes... There are rare occasions, and I grew up in the church. My dad was a minister, a preacher. I, I know some stories that he had to go through. I've seen in 20 years of ministry other stories that I've seen in the church as, leader, as a leader. There's a point where, where someone is so rooted in their sin and so just not willing to hear it that when it's time to bring it to the, the leaders of the church that they just say, you know what, there's no way I'm going in that room. I don't want to be called out for my sin, and they'll either leave the church Or they will go to another church where that sin will not be confronted. And Jesus says, if you get to that point and there's still no reconciliation and they're not willing to to, to have that conversation or willing to to admit and recognize that sin, walk away. You've done your part. Jesus says other times, he says, "Shake shake the dust off of your feet. You know, just kind of walking out and saying, you know what? I can walk out of this relationship now. I've done the part that Jesus has asked me to do. And the point of all of this process that Jesus teaches is for restoration. It's for reconciliation. This is such a big deal to Jesus. He says in Matthew 5, listen to these words. He says, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We kind of look at it the other way, don't we? We would go, well, the right thing to do is first get right with God and then go get right with those others. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Matt, you know, you have a problem with Dr. Bill Allen over there. He looked at your knee this week and you're still mad at him for what he told you about your knee. So if I'm going to give my offering over here, or if I'm online, get ready to, to give my offering, and I go, wait, you know, I still have that problem with Bill. Jesus is saying, I need to to leave that offering. Don't give that offering. Don't go to worship. Don't, don't, Don't offer him anything until I go and make it right with him. And then God wants our worship. That's how important this is. And sometimes I think in our relationships with others, we're so flippant with this one. And yet this is a clear commandment from Christ So the question is, who do we have conflict with right now? Who are we just sweeping it under the rug, letting it fester, or talking with others about it? The worst thing that we can do is not follow the footsteps of Jesus and how he talks about it, because our goal should always be to be an agent of of healing and peace, to be peacemakers. So check yourself. Never commit. uh, Deal with conflict as fast as we can. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, the Bible says. And third, Remember that God is with you. The main thing in Joseph's story, even though it seems like he can never cut a, catch a break, he seems like he's always Charlie Brown. One thing or another keeps going wrong. You, you you have to say, why? How did Joseph stay connected to God? How did that not just ruin everything? Well, there's a verse that shows up right after his brothers throw him into the hole. That says this, as it turned out, God was with Joseph and things went very well with him. God was with Joseph, even when he was in the hole. Later, when he got to be at Potiphar's house as a slave there, it says the reason why he was raised to the second in command in that house is because Potiphar noticed God was with Joseph. When he was in prison, for a crime he didn't commit, the warden of the prison saw that God was with Joseph and put Joseph in charge over the whole prison system. Being a follower of God doesn't mean that all of our relationships and everything is going to always be good There are preachers out there, there are famous preachers who write lots of books, who have very white teeth, who love to tell you that there is another gospel called the prosperity gospel. That if you just have enough faith, if you just have enough trust in God, that he is going to make you healthy, he's going to make you wealthy, and you're going to have healthy relationships all around you. And yet I'm going, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm seeing Joseph here who's following God, and he's in a dysfunctional family, he's been sold into slavery, he's in prison for 15 years for a crime he didn't commit sometimes God allows things in our lives that are conflict, that aren't easy, because he wants to show us that he is God and can do amazing things through those. The hardest times in my life have been those fire moments where you've walked through the fire and God is testing and God is shaping you and molding you into the image of Christ. Here's what God says in Isaiah 4, 43. He says, when you go through deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. The flames will not consume you. He doesn't say if... He doesn't say if you go through difficulties, if you have relational conflict, if you go through the fire. He says when you go, I will be with you. Joseph looks at his brothers and he says this amazing thing to them after everything's transpired and says what you did to me, you meant it for evil. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So think about this, what if you could go through whatever relationship crisis knowing that God is not only with you but he is he can do something through it that's so good and take the ashes of a broken relationship and make something beautiful out of it. You know, check yourself. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it quickly. Go to that person privately. Be an agent of peace. Be an agent of healing. And know that God is with you. I want you to have the best relationships that you could possibly have. I want a church full of strong marriages that don't quit when things get hard. I want a church of parents who love their kids even when it's hard. I want a church, a family, that loves their, the, the community, the people that we work with, the people that we hang with, and to be agents, to be peacemakers, the way Jesus calls us to be. The first next step for you today is, if you don't have a relationship with God, how can you possibly have a relationship that works with everybody else? He's the one who designed us. He's designed us to have a relationship with him and a relationship with others. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need to get that one right first. Last week, we saw a gal named Tiffany come forward and be baptized and make her her, her, her the first day of forever, that, that first day of saying, Jesus, I am yours. I want to be baptized into you. What a great way to start off 2016. And I know there's people in this room who need to make that decision for themselves, that you need to make that relationship with God, get that barrier out of the way. Next is when you know that God is with you, when you have a relationship with God, is that you are going to follow him in your conflict with others. And that you are going to be bold enough to go to that person and make it right. Seek what, what have I brought to the problem and let's, let's, let's hash this thing out. Let's, let's seek reconciliation together. Next is be with this church. Commit to being with this church. I've been so encouraged last Sunday, and even this Sunday, even when it's snowing outside, seeing the crowd of people that we've had in third service and second service and first service, God is doing something great during this time. And I encourage you to make this a priority, not an option, but to be here together as the family of God, empowering and encouraging one another to be with each other and with God. It's so great to see. And then the last thing, the last next step is this. And this is where it goes to many of you who have been in this church for a while, but have never made this next step, is what Chris talked about earlier, is taking that next step and getting in a small group. Connecting, getting out of the rows, and getting in a circle with others. I can't tell you how important that group has been in our life, and how much that that group will be for your life. So today, if you have a decision that you want to make of following Jesus for the first time, for committing to being a member of this church, we had someone second service to do that. We're sing a song of decision. If you want to come forward, I'd love to meet you at this time. If you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, hey, Discovery Class is next Sunday. Sign up on your connection card. Get there. We'd love to see you. Or write a note saying, "Hey, I'm ready to be a follower of Christ, but that aisle kind of scares me a little bit, and I'll call you this. I'll call you tomorrow. We'll we'll, we'll talk about your relationship with God." Would you stand as we sing this song of decision, and let's make our decision boldly together?